0: Everybody, welcome to 321 No Kidding. I am Bobby the Awesome, your host. And today I'm joined with Dr. Brad Nelson. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Bobby, for having me on. It's really great to be here.
0: Well, I am fascinated by the topic we're going to talk about today. And through my recovery journey, I've come to believe that every person who suffers from addiction has suffered from trauma. And it's unresolved. Like that's just my hypothesis. It's not based on science, just on a lot of really wise guests. Um, And we're going to dive into that a little today. I think you're going to give us a different lens on how to look at that. Is that an appropriate summary of what we're going to dive into?
1: I couldn't have said it better myself.
0: (laughs) We're going to get along famously. Um, Luckily for us, (laughs) you wrote a book. Um, So, how about we start by diving in and you share a little about yourself um and and talk about the book a little do you mind
1: Absolutely well um first of all I practiced as a, a holistic chiropractic physician for uh roughly 20 years and um what I found with my uh, with my patients was that um no matter how young or old they were No matter what they were suffering from, whether it was a physical problem like migraine headaches or neck pain or back pain, or uh, if they were dealing with some kind of a disease process like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, or if they were dealing with some kind of a mental emotional issue like um, depression or anxiety or phobias or panic attacks or PTSD or eating disorders. Um, And I I was working with patients that had all of these things because I was really a holistic physician. Uh, a holistic chiropractic physician, which means that, um, rather than just realigning the spine, for example, uh, I was also dealing with all kinds of other things as people were coming to me because they weren't getting help from Western medicine. And so they would come to me and I would try to help them. And as time went on, I found that all of these people had something in common and what they had in common was something that I came to call their emotional baggage and, um, if you think about that term, emotional baggage, um, many people have used that term before uh, to describe somebody else usually. Right. Um, But the reality of it is we all have emotional baggage. And what I found um, is that our emotional baggage consists of the energies of emotions that have become trapped in the body. Now, that might sound really weird and esoteric, but you know the reality of our existences, uh, these bodies of ours, these bodies that we inhabit, uh, if you talk to a physicist, they'll tell you that, well, you know, if you zoom in, for example, on a part of the body like your hand with a big enough microscope, and you're eventually looking at a single individual atom, which is kind of the building block of everything, if you look inside that atom, you see there's really nothing in there. It's just energy. And the next atom is a long distance away. In fact, it's hard to, it's really kind of hard for us uh, living in this material world to wrap our heads around these concepts from quantum physics that, uh, that teach us the truth about our existence. And the truth our, about our existence is really hard to understand. For example, um, quantum physicists have said that if you could remove all the empty space, Within every single person's body on earth, you could fit all 7.8 billion people in the world into a box the size of a sugar cube. You know? I mean, it's just so hard for us to wrap our minds around that kind of concept because our bodies seem so physical, right? And they have weight and you know, you slap your hand down on a desk and it makes a nice thunk sound, right? And you look in the mirror and you don't see swirling clouds of energy. You see your face, but um, but that is the reality of our existence. So um, what I found was that um, all these patients of mine with all these widely varied problems, including addictions, had something in common and that was their emotional baggage. And I came to understand what emotional baggage is you see we experience uh, emotions all the time right some are some are you could think of as being good you know happiness and joy and um love and compassion and things like that but we also feel negative emotions like guilt and fear and greed and shame and so on what well, what happens to us is that um when some kind of a stimulus occurs someone says something to you or you see something or hear something or think something or something else happens, you start to feel a certain emotion, right? We go through this process every day, multiple times a day. And what happens is when you start to feel that emotion, that emotion, really, what is it? Well, if you think in terms of quantum physics, everything is energy In fact, Nikola Tesla said, uh, if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, think in terms of frequency and energy and vibration. So if you think about an emotion as a vibration, every emotion has its own vibrational frequency. So if you're feeling an emotion of anger, well, if you could stick a probe into your body and measure that frequency, that would be a different frequency, a different vibration than if you were feeling an emotion of, say, grief. Okay, And every emotion is a little bit different. But there's this emotional uh, process. There's this process that we go through when we're feeling an emotion. And I like to think of it as the emotional loop. So here's what happens. Some stimulus occurs. You see something, you hear something, someone says something, um, something happens, whatever. You start to feel a certain emotion. That emotion is coming out of the deep subconscious, right? And so you start into this emotional loop. And you might think the thoughts that go along with that emotion. You might even feel some kind of physical sensation that might go along with that emotion. And normally what happens is, as we're going into that emotion and we're feeling that emotion, normally, 99.8% of the time, I would say, we... Simply acknowledge that we're feeling that emotion and then that emotional energy kind of dissipates and that loop gets closed and that experience now is gone and we're ready for the next emotional experience. But sometimes we interrupt that emotional loop, that little, that little emotional experience. Sometimes we interrupt that by deciding that, no, no, I'm not going to feel that emotion something happens. Maybe your dad, for example, was a rageaholic and um, you decided long ago that anger is an emotion that you should never allow yourself to feel. And let's say that something happens in your life where you're wronged in some way and you start to feel that emotion of anger. You're starting into that little emotional loop. And what happens is you bury that emotion I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to feel it. So you stuff that emotional energy. And what happens is now you're stuck with an open loop. Instead of allowing the loop to complete now, that loop is stuck open. And so now the energy that was, that was coming up in the body, that emotional vibration, that energy now is suspended in a way in the body. And we refer to these as trapped emotions. That's one way that we form these trapped emotional energies is by stuffing the emotion. But there's another way. And that other way is that we, when an emotion comes up for us and we're feeling that emotion, sometimes we make a conscious choice to amplify that emotional feeling to a much, much greater degree. So in other words, sometimes when an emotion comes up for us, Rather than just being the observer and allowing that emotional energy to come up and be felt and then dissipate and disappear and allow that particular experience to go away, sometimes what we do is we decide um, to really expound on that feeling. So in other words, someone let's say someone cuts you off in traffic, for example, and you feel this emotion of resentment coming up. Well, you could allow it to come up and allow that process to complete, and you could allow that energy to go away. But sometimes don't we do this this uh this thing where we start to feel the emotion and we decide, you know what, doggone it, that guy did cut me off. And so we become really resentful, we or angry or whatever it is, right? We've all done this, we all do this kind of thing. And when you do that, when you don't allow that little emotional process to complete in a natural way, when you don't allow that emotional energy to be felt and acknowledged and then to dissipate and disappear. What happens is that emotional loop becomes broken. The process now stops because you've enhanced it and made it way bigger. And so now you have a, an open loop. So this is another way that you form Um, these trapped emotions. So that emotional energy that you were feeling now is trapped in the body, suspended in the body. It took me a long time to figure this out, Bobby, because it took me about 17 years, really, because these things are invisible, these trapped emotions. But what I found was that people would come in to see me and they'd have physical pain, for example. And when I would ask questions and get answers from their subconscious mind, which I'll explain in a second here, um, I found that if I released the emotional energies that were stuck in the body, the pain would go away. Here, here's an example. Many years ago, this guy came in to see me uh, when I was in practice and um, he had really severe low back pain. He was about a nine on a zero to 10 scale of pain. And um, if you're a 10, you know, you go to the doctor and then they do surgery. Right. So he was right up there and uh, it had been going on for a number of weeks and I started asking some questions, not of his conscious mind, but of his subconscious mind. Now, let me explain this: We all have a conscious mind, which is where we spend all of our waking hours, we work our jobs, you know we we read books and have our relationships, and so on. That's our conscious mind. When you go to sleep, the conscious mind shuts down completely. What's left the subconscious mind, and the subconscious mind is the part of you that is creating 3 million new red blood cells every minute and is uh, running your body and digesting your food and doing all of these countless chemical reactions that are keeping you alive from one moment to the next. I mean, really, every moment of of our lives is an ongoing miracle. We go from one miracle moment to another because the reality of it is (laughs) these bodies of ours are just made of energy. They should just fly apart. There's something holding them together. And that's, you know, that's the power I believe of, you know, of God. I mean, we're having an experience here in this world and um, it's important that we have that experience. Well, anyway, it's the subconscious mind that knows if you have emotional baggage consciously, we know very little and uh, we remember very little, but the subconscious remembers it all. It's a holographic of an archiving computer that, um, remembers every face you've ever seen in a crowd and everything you've ever eaten and tasted and touched and smelled and whole history of your health or disease is all recorded in there in that subconscious mind. So uh, we can access that subconscious mind using um, a number of different methods. The easiest one is, uh, um, or one of the simplest ones is what we call muscle testing or kinesthetic testing. So if you can imagine, I'm talking to this guy, he's holding out his arm parallel to the floor And I'm asking questions out loud, and uh, the answers are manifesting from his subconscious mind through muscle testing. So as I'm pressing down on the end of his arm, he's strong for yes answers, weak for no answers coming from his subconscious mind. So he's got this back pain. So, So I'm asking a question like, is there a trapped emotion we can release that's contributing to your back pain? I get a strong muscle test on that, right? As I'm pressing down, he can resist me no problem. So, using the emotion code chart, which actually looks, uh, let's see, I've got one here in the book. The emotion code chart looks like this, and it's divided into it's 60 emotions divided up into uh, two columns and six rows. And so, very quickly, I find what the emotion is. And uh, let's see, that emotion is in column A, and I find out through muscle testing that it's in row four, and the emotion is anger. In his subconscious mind, as I asked a few more questions, I determined really quickly that his subconscious needed him to know more about what this was from, this emotional energy of anger that was trapped in his body. So I asked when this, when this had occurred, did it occur in the last 10 years? No last 20 years. Yes. It, it turned out it occurred about 20 years before. And he thought about it for a second. And he immediately said, okay, I know exactly what that's about. He explained to me what had happened was that he was working at this place and he had been wrongly accused of basically embezzling, like cooking the books. And um, he was totally innocent. And was so mad about this. Was so angry about it. And, you know, I mean, rightfully so. But uh, here's a case where he chose to really amplify that feeling of anger. And he became so upset about this and so angry um, that that emotional energy couldn't be processed. And so that emotional experience of feeling angry about being falsely accused, instead of allowing it to complete and go away, that emotional loop was formed. And that emotional energy was still in his body from 20 years before that energy was still there from that event. And that energy, uh, we call it a trapped emotion. It's a ball of energy about the size of a baseball to about the size of a softball. And these will lodge in the body. They can lodge anywhere. In this case, that energy lodged in his low back. And so you see what was happening is when you have a trapped emotion, when you have emotional energy, lodged in the body in some place, what it does is it creates this distortion, this distorting effect on the normal energy field of the body. And because the body itself is really nothing more than a very complex energy field, right? I mean, think about it. If you take a bright enough light, if you shine a bright enough light at your body, your bones will make shadows, right? Behind you. And they call that x-ray, right? That's how x-rays work. It's just a really bright form of light, so bright we can't even see it with our eyes. But if we could, it would be blinding, but it just makes shadows on film behind us, right? And that's how it works. So anyway, um, so sure enough, that's what this emotional energy was about. It was about that event. And so there wasn't anything else we needed to know. So I swiped a few times down the middle of his back, down what we call the governing meridian, which is a little river of energy that flows right down the back. And uh, the pain went from a nine to a zero that fast. It was completely gone. And he can't believe it. And he's bending over and he's twisting this way and that way. And and he he keeps saying, how did you do that? How did you do that? And I was grateful that it worked so well, right? But this is an example of what emotional baggage does. 90% of all the physical pain that people have is due to their emotional baggage. Now, think about that. There are pain clinics in this country, I'm sure in other countries as well, that deal with physical pain through the use of pharmaceutical drugs, right? But 90% of all that pain, 90% of all those patients that go to those pain clinics are in pain because of emotional baggage, because of their divorce or being bullied as a child or who knows what they've been through that emotional baggage, those energies that are trapped in the body manifest as physical pain, you see. And so this was a great example. But there's more to this story uh, because this guy came back in two or three days later for a follow-up visit. And he told me, he said, Dr. Nelson, I, I'm still totally out of pain. He said, I can't believe it. That was just amazing what you did, but he said, I need to tell you something. He said, when I came in here, I had another problem that I didn't tell you about. He said, for as long as I can remember, I've been what you'd basically call a rageaholic. He said, I'm always yelling at my wife and my kids. He said, I've got to watch the road rage. I've been to anger management several times, hasn't really helped me. And he said, since you released that trapped emotion of anger for me, he said, I feel really different. He said, things that used to set me off don't set me off anymore. And he said, instead of feeling kind of tightly wound, he said, I just feel kind of relaxed and at peace. And he said, how does that work? And think about it this way, all right, because this is is the crazy truth about these bodies of ours. You see, he had this ball of anger from 20 years before, and that was lodged in his low back, right? Twisting and distorting those tissues, interfering with the chemical reactions in there, interfering with the blood flow and the lymph flow to some degree, and ultimately manifesting as physical pain. But when we identified that anger and released that ball of emotion, all of a sudden he felt different. Why? Well, you see, for all those years, when a situation would come along in his life where he might tend to feel the emotion of anger, he would feel that emotion much more readily, much more easily than he otherwise would have. Why? Because literally part of his body, that area where that ball of anger was, was feeling that emotional frequency, that vibration, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so because of that, he would fall right into that resonance and his whole body would fall into that and he would start feeling angry. So if you think about how this works, and this is, this is energy medicine, you know, scientists going back to Albert Einstein have said that the future of medicine, the future of healing is going to be all about energy and frequency and vibration. And that's exactly what this is. And uh, the emotion code, uh, and the book looks like this, by the way, The Emotion Code is this incredibly simple process to find emotional baggage and release it. And literally anyone can learn this process. Anyone can do this. It's very, very simple. Children can do it, in fact. And and it definitely drives addictions. In fact, let me read a story to you. Um, This is a woman who wrote in. She said, my 10 out of 10 sugar addiction is now gone. I was eating sugar left and right and sneaking it whenever I could. Because gluten-free baked goods and treats are not easily or readily available, I would specifically seek them out on a daily basis. I would get candy bars on my way home from work to eat before I got home. I would get cookies and brownies every time I went to the grocery store and would eat them before I got home. I would hide chocolatey treats from my husband so he wouldn't steal them. Plus, there is some shame, guilt, and judgment around that. She said, ice cream, cookies, cupcakes, candy bars, chocolates, fruit snacks, anything I would eat daily. I worked on myself. Now, you can do this on yourself. Uh, She said, releasing trapped emotions on Sunday, um, December 6th, 2020. And the next day at work, I had two snack-sized fruit snacks three chocolate pieces and a peppermint milkshake. I thought maybe it didn't work or there may have been some more imbalances to remove. Well, about five days later it occurred to me after listening to the emotion code webinar that sometimes issues can take extra time to go away because of processing. So when we release emotional baggage, sometimes it takes a day or two for the result to really show. Uh, She said, that's when I realized I have not craved, itched, twitched or sought out any sugar After that Monday, uh, December 7th, 2020, it's been a week and a half at this and I still have zero urge for sugar. It's completely out of my mind. And this is from uh, uh, Dr. Katie Azowski in in the U.S. Um, Now, if you think about it, emotional baggage is, I believe, the single biggest underlying trigger and cause and driver of emotional behavior. And I think that you're absolutely right when you when you said that um, addiction is driven by trauma. You're absolutely right. But the question is, well, how do you deal with that trauma? And of course, there are lots of different ways that people have come up with or tried to create. Uh, there, are, you know, there's cognitive therapies. There are ways that you can think about the past and think about what happened to you and try to re-experience those experiences, and so on. The emotion code is a very, very different method from any of those, though, because with the emotion code, what we do is we access the subconscious mind, we ask questions of the subconscious mind, and you can do this uh, yourself, and then we get concrete answers about what our emotional baggage actually is. Um, And sometimes, you see, the subconscious mind remembers things that we have no conscious knowledge of um, we can inherit emotional baggage that can drive addiction. And that emotional energy may have originated with an ancestor maybe five, 10, 20 generations ago. And we receive emotional energy like that at conception that can drive addictions and other problems in the here and now for you. Um, things can happen to you in the womb. Things can happen to you when a, when you're a baby that you have no conscious knowledge of. And yet uh, those energies can be affecting you in the here and now. Um, One, uh, one story that comes to mind about that was uh, I was at a workshop, uh, putting on a workshop once it was in Las Vegas. And uh, at the very beginning of this workshop, there was a young woman that showed up with her mother. So I happened to meet the two of them along with all these other people coming in. And during the, uh, during this, this lecture, I asked for a volunteer. And this young woman came up out of the audience and I asked her if she had any particular difficulties and she said that she didn't really. And so I had her hold out her arm and I started asking questions. And of course, these questions uh, are responded to by the subconscious mind with a strong muscle test for yes and a weak muscle test for no. Uh, You see Bobby back in about, well, it was in 1980. I took a class at college on computer programming and I became a computer programmer So when I became a doctor later, um, that understanding of computers, uh, helped me to understand how subconscious mind is also a computer and I could ask questions and get answers. And so, so I'm asking questions of this young woman and I find through muscle testing, her subconscious mind, uh, responds. And I find out that she has a trapped emotion. The emotion is forlorn. And, uh, Her subconscious says, I need to know more about this. And so I'm asking more questions and finding out, did this occur after, you know, between 10 and 20 years old? No, earlier than 10, earlier than five. And I I found out that this had happened in the first year of her life. The emotion was forlorn.
0: And of course, I didn't expect her to know any. Can you explain for us forlorn, just so that we're all thinking the same thing?
1: Yeah, forlorn is... um, Uh, it's a feeling of being all alone and desolate and hopeless, kind of all rolled into one. Like you need help and no one's helping you. And you are just, it's kind of like a sad, sad sort of lonely abandoned kind of feeling. And Mm -hmm. so I asked her if she had any idea what this might've been about. And of course I didn't expect that she would, she was only, you know, one year old. She said, no, she had no idea. And I happened to look out at the audience because I remember that she'd showed up with her, she'd shown up with her mother. Right. And there's her mother out there in the audience. And she's as pale as a ghost. She's got her hands like this covering her mouth and her nose and her eyes look like saucers. And I said, Hey, do you have any idea what this might've been about? She was really embarrassed, but she said, she thought maybe she did know what this was about. She said that when her daughter was that age, um, And she was raising her. She used cloth diapers. And one day, and you know, cloth diapers, you use safety pins. And she said one day she accidentally pinned her daughter to her diaper. So and she didn't know about it until she changed her the next time. So here for probably at least an hour or two, maybe three, this poor baby has got this safety pin through her flesh. And. I'm sure she was probably crying the whole time. Her mom wasn't helping her and didn't realize her mom must have been so overwhelmed. She was horrified to find out what had happened. She had never told her daughter because she was just so embarrassed. She just buried it. But then it showed up all those years later. So I tested, I asked, is that what created this trapped emotion of forlorn? The answer was yes. Uh, Strong muscle test on her arm. And so I released the trapped emotion by just swiping a few times down her back. Now she didn't have to go back and re experience that experience. Did she not at all? We were just finding that energy and then releasing it. And it, it took about as long as it's taken me to tell you the story, even less time, really. Well, so she went back and sat down and I finished my lecture and went home. About 10 days later, I got an email from this girl's mother and she said, Dr. Nelson, I need to tell you what happened. She said, My daughter didn't tell you this, but she said for about eight years, she said she's had this problem with her hip and her knee on one side. And she said it, it bothers her, but she just lives with it. And it's been gradually, slowly getting worse. And it's, it's recently begun to affect the way that she walks a bit. And she said, we've taken her to different people to try to figure out what's causing this and no one's been able to figure it out. But she said, from the moment you released that trapped emotion of forlorn from being pinned to her diaper, that pain has been completely gone. And she said, not only that, but she said, she's walking differently now. Normally. she said, she's also feeling this new lightness of being that she's never felt before in her life. She said, she's telling everyone about this. And she said, I waited 10 days because I wanted to just make sure that this wasn't some kind of a fluke. she said, pain has not come back. And so if you think about this, this is the kind of thing that is driving this worldwide phenomenon of the emotion code. You can see behind me on the wall, some of the languages the book has been translated into. Um, we have thousands, uh, at least 10,000, over 10,000 stories like that one. And like the one that I read to you about the sugar addiction. I mean, if you've got a gambling addiction, uh, there is emotional baggage that is driving that gambling addiction. I, it's just as simple as that. The emotion code is a way that you can find out what that baggage is and remove that baggage and then get rid of that addiction. In most cases, um, you can do this yourself. You can, you can buy yourself a copy of the emotion code book. You can learn how to do it uh, and you can totally do it by yourself. Now, uh, just like the lady with the sugar addiction, right? Um, She had a bad addiction and um, she was able to work on herself and get rid of that addiction. Now, you can also have people, uh, you can find someone to work on you. We have certified over 10,000 emotion code practitioners in um, 80 plus countries around the world. And um, this work is energy medicine. And so it can be done live and in person, or it can also be done just as effectively Uh, at a distance and so uh, our practitioners work with other people all over the world so you can go to discoverhealing.com and you might find a practitioner there that uh, uh, might not even be in the same country as you but you might be drawn to that person and you might find that that's exactly who you should work with and maybe they're in Singapore or Berlin or Ireland or something Uh, you never know but um, we are now in the 21st century and we're starting to realize that um what these quantum physicists have been telling us for all of these years, over a hundred years now um, is actually true. We're finding out what we're capable of and we're finding out what a huge role our emotional baggage plays in, um, in these sicknesses that we have. And so um, uh, here's, here's one more. I want to, I want to read you this one. Um, This is about alcohol. Because you see, all addictions have the same underlying cause, and that underlying cause for the vast majority of people is emotional baggage. So this is a a woman that wrote, and she said, after an abusive childhood, I started drinking alcohol at age 15, just to feel a bit normal and be able to talk to people. I was a loner through most of my school years and had poor social skills with a combination of self-loathing. Naivete and alcohol, I was vulnerable to unfortunate situations. I was raped at 16 and gang raped at 17. I continued to spiral downward with unsuccessful relationships, unstable friendships, isolation, and difficult work life. Even though I didn't quite hit rock bottom, I couldn't see much point in living. I didn't want to kill myself. So something had to give for me to feel more positive about life. With willpower, I managed to greatly reduce my alcohol consumption, but it was always a struggle. Anytime life would throw up some major difficulty or frustration, the nagging desire to drink, or you could insert you know, for another person the desire to gamble or whatever, um, for her it was drink, was unbearable, she said. Then at the ripe old age of 57, I came across the emotion code and decided that the removal of my heart wall would be a good place to start. Jean Nelson removed my heart wall with particular concentration on my addiction issues. She discovered I had addictive heart energy and other triggers that were causing the cyclical behavior of the addiction. I now no longer have any desire to drink. Um, Yippee. The result has well and truly exceeded any of my expectation. And after 40 years of struggling with alcohol I feel like a different person. Life feels worth living again. Now when upsets arise, the thought to drink comes, but dissipates instantly without any effort on my part. And the agony of the intense emotional argument I used to have with myself. Um, I still have much clearing to do, but now I have a stable foundation to work from love and gratitude. Linda Maurer. Um, I think she's from Australia. I'm not sure, but um doesn't matter. But anyway, uh, So if you think about it, see um, this emotional baggage that we have from the experiences that we've been through, sometimes that we've been through as kids or as infancy, or maybe even in the womb, or maybe the emotional energy that was in, that was passed to us at conception from grandpa or grandma or or 10th great grandparent, that emotional energy can also drive addiction. And the emotion code now is just a beautiful, simple, easy way to find that baggage and get rid of it, so that you can live uh, a much better life, free of addiction.
0: I have so many questions, but before I Uh ask, I'm I'm gonna try to be specific. But I have to say, you have such uh, a beautiful way of explaining it in terms that are easy to digest. So thank you for that. You're making wonderful guests because. It's consumable. So thank you. Here's here's yeah. a couple of the thoughts that I had. So going way back to not closing the loop. So my first question is, and the first example of not closing the loop, are we keeping it open because when we feel that emotion, we then run to the addiction as a way to put the stopping block because we're numbing? Am I thinking about that correctly?
1: Well, yeah, I think so. I th- yeah i think so i think that we have these energies that are stuck in our bodies and uh and so we're we're driven by those energies um we we try to deal then with those energies that are it's it's like we're dragging around suitcases full of emotional baggage and we try to figure out we try to find ways to deal with it And so, people self-medicate with uh, with drugs or alcohol, or they have some kind of a void in their life because of that emotional baggage. Maybe that they uh, they try to deal and and fill that up with sex or with gambling or whatever it might be. And um, it's the emotional baggage that. Yes, I, I I think that's exactly right. We. We have those energies that we're feeling on a low level all the time. And so we try to deal with it in some way, but it turns out usually the behaviors aren't good. Sometimes we try to deal with things. I mean, we try to deal with things through all kinds of different methods. It, you know, gambling is just one form of addiction, but um, people become addicted to, uh, you know, to sports or to work or to, um, uh, to adrenaline, Right. And so it's really uh, all of a piece though. It's all the same. All addictions are driven by the same things and uh, trauma is definitely one of those, one of those things.
0: Thank you. Okay. That leads perfect into my next question. And, and I like not liked it from a, I think that the illustration of the diaper and the pin was a great example. When we hear the word trauma, trauma can be something like that. It wasn't a fault thing. It wasn't anything to feel shame or guilt around. And I think that sometimes there's this stigma with right. the word. So I wanted to call out that example as excellent. Um trauma doesn't have to be yeah. something like that. Okay. So, let's let's say you have someone who gambles, drinks, smokes, loves sugar. Maybe even a sugar addict. Um does that mean the person has four emotions causing the things like, would you have to go through the emotion code a few different times to remove each addiction?
1: No, um, no, because uh, in my experience, uh, addictions are are all driven by the same kinds of energies. Um, for example, let's say that you have a trapped emotion. Let's say, for example, that you were, you felt abandoned as a child because maybe your parents got divorced and your father left. So you, you, you develop this emotion of feeling abandoned, for example, uh, that now could be a driver to any kind of addiction. Uh, it could be driving your addiction to cigarettes. It could be driving your addiction to gambling or to, uh, whatever it might be. Right. Um, it could be driving, Any kind of addiction, because see, the thing about addictions is that they uh, they're really all the same behavior in a sense. They manifest differently, uh, but really, they all have the same drivers. So, no, you wouldn't have to uh, to look for four different kinds of emotions there. Uh, You would you would just find the emotional energies that are driving that
0: um, the, the addictive behavior, period, whatever it might be. Okay, thank you. I want to I want to emotion code me and everybody around me cuz <laughs> it's just
1: everybody needs it.
0: It sounds, it sounds like just freedom and I just have such I don't know, appreciation. Do you think okay, I have two other and these may not even fall in the scope but my curiosity is so energized right now. You talked about the uh, energy being as big as softballs and uh, tennis balls in size wise, and you talked about X rays. Right. With, with the focus and and wonderful leaders like you championing things about these discussions about energy and medicine and and how it all works together. Do you think we'll ever be able to see these? softball things the way we can see a broken bone through an x-ray like is the science there yeah
1: oh the science is not there yet however and i've never seen one of these but uh you know some people have um some people have seen them uh and um and they're they're like we described they're basically um, a ball of energy Um, there are people who have the ability to see things that most people don't see. Uh, And, um, and yeah, I do think that eventually the day will come when we will be able to, to visualize these. We're not there yet, but I think that um, these are uh, eventually. Yeah. I think eventually you'll be able to go into maybe in a hundred years or 20 or 30, you'll, You'll go into some kind of a scanner and it will scan your body and find imbalances like this. It's just, we don't have the sensitivity of equipment yet, but I think it's possible. But in the meantime, we can go ahead and find these and release these ourselves. We don't have to wait for the technology to catch up. It may not catch up for a hundred years, but it's okay.
0: It, it was just a it. crazy um, trigger when you, when you said that. Okay. You mentioned heart wall yeah, in one of your yes. examples. Um, so I want to talk about that but before I do, I want to ask this other thing. So Mm -hmm. you do the emotion code, you free up the emotion. So I always, this is another one of my, I guess, theories is that we see things through our belief system, right? And our belief system is formed also by these traumas and these incidents and, and the things that are going on. So if we free the emotion, are you, do you see a belief system change in your patients? And maybe it's something that they don't even talk about. I don't know, but does how someone's perspective on life change in that way? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely.
1: Well, uh, people often report feeling lighter when that emotional baggage is removed. And um, that emotional baggage, uh, the trapped emotions that we have are drivers of our beliefs in the subconscious mind. And so, for example, um, if you have a trapped emotion of guilt, for example, about something that you did long ago, and uh, that's linked in now in the subconscious mind to feelings that you're a bad person because of what happened then. If you remove that trapped emotion of guilt, for example, then that belief that you're a bad person now may not have any underpinning. And so that belief may actually shift. And what we find is that um, when people start removing their emotional baggage, their personality actually will change in many cases. Uh, People become more peaceful. They become more... uh, more capable of giving and receiving love for example and that's especially true when that wall is taken down uh that is put up around the heart and let me explain this this is the heart wall uh since this is your next question right yes well back in the 1960s when doctors started doing heart transplants for the first time uh, i remember that very well i was i was alive then and very interested and uh But back then, what they didn't talk about was people that would come back to the doctor and would tell the doctor that they were experiencing weird things. For example, people who never cared about baseball, suddenly they get the heart of a baseball player, and now they're going to every single game. Uh, People who didn't care about classical music, and they get the heart of a concert violinist, and now – they're playing classical music all day long, and certain passages and certain pieces suddenly they're obsessed with, right? Um, people who get a heart transplant and their handwriting changes only to find later that that was the handwriting of the donor, right? Um, mm-hmm. People who get a heart transplant and find that they have memories now of being in places that they never in their life have ever visited. And yet they have memories now of being in those places. And so there are whole books written about this. It's one of the most fascinating aspects of human existence, I think. It's called cellular memory. And um, what we believe now, you see, the ancients believed that the heart was the seed of the soul and the source of love and creativity and romance. And it was really the core of our being. But in the modern world, of course, in the um, this mechanistic uh, kind of medicine that we that we have now that really came out of the Industrial Revolution, we um, look at the body as uh, an assortment of various machines. We look at the heart as a machine. We believe the heart is really just a pump. It just pumps blood. That's all it is. If it fails, you put in a new pump. Well, um, we are now finding out that the ancients were exactly right, that there's much more going on with the human heart than we ever um, had imagined in Western medicine. For example, if you're feeling love or affection for another person, your heartbeat becomes measurable in their brain waves. Um, wow. Your heart rates will synchronize and so on. And um, yeah. And so what happens, uh, think about this, Bobby. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like your heart was going to break? Yeah. Remember feeling that most people can, and that's a physical sensation, right? You literally feel that your heart might break. You might feel discomfort in the chest, in the neck, right? Um, and so that word heartache, that's what that word is about. Heartache is your heart is literally aching. Uh, maybe because you're really uh being abused, or maybe because you're really deep in grief about something, well, when you feel that physical sensation of heartache uh or you're really deeply grieved or really really being hurt, the subconscious mind will put up a wall around your heart to protect your heart from being totally broken, and we call that wall the heart wall, and the heart wall is made of layers of emotional baggage. In other words, trapped emotional energies uh, that are in your body. And so that wall gets put up. And it's one of the things um, that uh, it's one of the things having a heart wall like that is one of the things that will drive addiction. Um, It also is a big, big driver. uh, I think the biggest driver that there is of depression. Um, It drives anxiety Uh, and it creates feelings of isolation and numbness, and, uh, it blocks you from really being able to feel when people have that heart wall taken down. Uh, they often fall in love, uh, even at advanced ages, people that never thought they would ever fall in love. Uh, people have creative ideas that start to flow spontaneously for them because the best ideas that you'll ever have will not come from this brain. They'll come from this brain. The heart is literally a brain. Uh, there's gray matter and white matter. They know now in the heart, they call it the little brain in the heart. And, um, so people have even said that, uh, that when that wall, that heart wall is taken down, that they can feel the love of the creator for them, right? God's love for them. It's an amazing thing. Let me share one story with you about this. That's kind of fun. Um, cause it illustrates a couple of great points. There was a woman that came into me many years ago who, um, Came in for neck pain. Her neck pain was about a nine on a zero to 10 scale. She'd been to a couple of other doctors. They hadn't been able to help her. So she came in to see me. And as I was talking with her, she told me that um, she was single. She was 38 years old. She was a nurse and she had not dated in eight years. And uh, she was never going to ever date ever again. She was going to die single. And she was absolutely determined about this. And I had never met anybody that was celibate before except maybe, you know, a Catholic priest once in a while. And I asked her, I said, well, how, why do you feel that way? What, uh, what, what made you decide, you know, to be single the rest of your life? She said that eight years before, she was really deeply in love with this guy who dumped her and broke her heart. So I tested her and uh, found, sure enough, she had this phenomenon, this heart wall phenomenon going on. And uh, this is all explained. And we teach you how to do this in the emotion code book. And anyway, so um, there were three emotions making up this wall around her heart. And um, all three of those emotions had to do with the breakup from eight years before. So I released those three trapped emotions. When I released the last one, all of a sudden, her neck pain, which she had come in for, it was a nine on a zero to 10 scale, was suddenly gone. Just instantly, completely gone. I didn't have to do anything with her neck. And so she, she left the office feeling great, came back six or no, three months later, she came back into my office. And I'll always remember this. I saw her in my hallway and I said, Hey, I remembered her immediately. And I said, Hey, I haven't seen you. Cause she was the only celibate person I had ever met. And I said, Hey, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you doing? What's going on? She said, you know, she said, my neck has been fine since I was here. But she said, you cleared that heart wall from me. And that really works. She said, About two weeks after I was here, I found out that my childhood sweetheart has been living right around the corner from me for almost eight years. And she said, we're dating and and we're in love. And she said, I think he's going to ask me to marry him. And I thought, wow, what a huge shift to go from being celibate to almost engaged, right? Because of that wall. Now, think about this. I'll tell you something right now, 93% of people uh, have this wall around their heart because they've been hurt in some way. And I would say that 100% of people in my experience that are dealing with a powerful addiction have a heart wall, 100%. And it's an invisible kind of a thing. Uh, You don't even know that you have it. It's put up by the subconscious mind. It might've been put up long ago, maybe when you were being bullied as a child or whatever. But when you have that wall, um, it handicaps you mentally and emotionally in your life. And so finding out if you've got that wall, it's an easy thing to do. You can read the book, teaches you how to do it in the book itself. Um, if you want, you can find somebody that can work on you, uh, discover healing. We have practitioners all over the world. Um, you can find someone near you or maybe someone in another country that can work on you, whatever, but you can get that wall taken down. And in my experience, I believe this is the most important thing that you can do for yourself right now is get that wall taken down. Find out if you've got one, get that wall taken down because it can shift everything for you.
0: Uh, and I've seen it happen over and over and over. Uh, Dr. Nelson, I could talk to you all day. I, I really could. This is so intriguing to me, but we're we're on time. We're actually a little over, but that's okay because I've really enjoyed this. Um, as soon as I hang up with you, I'm ordering the book before my next meeting. Um, the list is getting longer. I relate of, of people I want to, you know, like I got to figure myself out and then I want to pass it on. So thank you for being here. Um you know, we have 105 countries that listen to this show um, and hopefully like we can help you spread the world to change the world. Cause it sounds like you solve so many problems in my head, explaining this process. Like I understood everything you said, awesome. I related, um, the heart wall just totally, I go to rehab. I remember the point when the counselor helps me break down the wall and I leave rehab in love. Like I actually like relate to so many of the stories. Now I have new heart walls. Like I, I totally just get it. And I don't know how to express my enthusiasm without sounding like a crazy enthusiastic (laughs) lady right now.
1: Well, thank you, Bobby. And I, I understand, I mean, I'm on a mission. Um, everything that's happened to me in my life has prepared me to bring this work into the world. I mean, this is, uh, this work isn't about me. I'm the author, but it's, you know, uh, this, this is from the divine. And, uh, and that's a beautiful thing because we really need, we really need a tool like this that works fast um, because we don't, you know, we don't have a lot of time. We've got to, got to get rid of this baggage and the beautiful thing, you know, when you get rid of enough of that emotional baggage is you have this, it's almost like stepping out of this old suit you've been wearing into this new state of being, this new person that is who you're really intended to be. So it's pretty exciting. So thank you so much, Bobby, for having me on. It's been really fun. Thank you so much, Dr.
0: Nelson. I appreciate it.